You are listening to episode 228 of Game Flares Podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we got a selection of good things on sale, stranger, in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. Very nice. I like it. But I, I kind of wish you would have also in that voice said that we're looking for the president's daughter. He doesn't say that. That's the merchant. I, I know. I know he doesn't. I know it's the merchant, Ryan. 100% know it is. Uh, so we played a little bit of Resident Evil 4 this week, not the remake. Uh, we actually played uh, respectively on different consoles. Ryan played the HD version and then I played on the GameCube. But we'll go into that a little later in our inflation deflation segment. Uh, but first. You can find the Game Deflators podcast on our out-of-date website, thegamedeflators.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So Instagram and Facebook are going to be at The Game Deflators. Twitter is at Game Deflators. You can find us on the podcast app you're listening to now and all the other great podcast apps that are out there as well. And of course, leave us a five-star review. So pickups. Uh, Ryan, I did not have any gaming pickups, but I threw down here. I picked up some Final Fantasy kids books. Yeah. Yeah, two. So obviously I have a child and I have to teach him the ways of being a nerd and a gamer. And they had a Final Fantasy Chocobo airship book and then another one. I forget the name of the other one, but it's like a Final Fantasy 14 inspired book has a little like gray fish type character on the front of a fan. I don't remember the name, Um, but they are on Amazon. I don't know if they're I don't think they're Amazon exclusive, but uh, they're on Amazon. So just type in like Final Fantasy kids books if you have a kid. And you would like them to, you know, experience that. Pretty cool. I like the artwork. Story is pretty decent as well. And, uh, you know, for a child, it's, I think it's pretty cool. So I picked that up. And then playing wise, I continued playing Carrion during the course of a week. I yeah, did not, I wanted I to hear that. how that's been going. Like, what are like the other kind of like power ups and stuff you get? Like, does it change very much? Or is it pretty much just kind of the same thing we experienced? Um, bosses or anything challenging? There's kind of bosses. So I'm actually stuck right now. I probably would have beat it last night, but I'm in the bunker level, which is like the level just before you end. And the issue I'm having is I've got like every type of possible enemy that I've faced in one area right now. So uh, let's see. So we'll start from power ups, Uh, power ups. You do gain additional ones. Which one did you leave off on power up wise? The web, the web. Okay. so after the web one, you get one that allows you to like slam into objects like wood and stuff and slam them down. And that allows you like slam gates as well into enemies or in this case to good people. And that'll allow you to, um, to knock them out prone. And then you can kind of go up and, and obviously eat them. Um, there is a mind control one. So you literally send out a tentacle through areas and you control somebody. And then as you control them, if they're like with a gun or if they are near a switch or anything like that, and you can't reach it. It allows you to like turn off the switch or you can use their flamethrower to go ahead and shoot all the other enemies. So protect yourself. But some of the enemies are wise to that. So if you're like controlling somebody, they'll actually fire upon that person and knock them out again. And then they're all high alert. So it just varies on like who you grab, where you grab them and so on. Um, there is an invisibility cloak that you can use to get past certain areas. Uh, there is also like, so is the, there like much like 
stealth in there or is it just kind of like a little splash i mean it's it, not a very long game it's a little bit of a splash and kind of necessary at times so like if you're trying to skirt past a bunch of enemies then yeah the stealth is fantastic if you're just trying to get past like a beam, like they have like these laser beams that if you cross them it'll shut doors so like puzzle wise like it's a big puzzle game too so okay. puzzle, so puzzle wise if you're trying to get to a certain point like oh i gotta use invisibility let me go there um the biomass pools that are there you can deposit biomass because like as you grow, certain abilities are no longer present. So if you, for example, want to be invisible, you have to be at your lowest tier out of your like your three tiers of growth as a monster. So you have to go to a biomass pool, deposit the things of biomass, go through as like a single individual, you know, the single tier invisible, go around, do this puzzle. And then sometimes you can go back and like grab your biomass or you have to continue on and eat more people to grow larger. Uh, so there's that. How um, big do you get? Like pretty big compared oh, yeah, to what it, we started it, at? It actually gets pretty difficult to navigate through tunnels because the the enemies are he's too big. Um, you can go in water and turn into like these like snake type tentacles. Like you just transform so you can go through like different things. Um, what else was there? Uh, you have the ability to like create this like armor. So uh, you basically use electrical panels and you charge yourself up to be able to use certain abilities like invisibility requires it, armor requires it, and there's these like homing missiles. And so some of the puzzles require you to have a homing missile attached to you, speed through to where they're going to, you know, where you need to go, armor up and it explodes like metal doors and stuff. It's pretty Mm -hmm. cool. So uh, that's a component of it. Enemy wise, um, I think we passed the enemies with shields, if I recall, um, and they were pretty difficult for us. But as you progress, um, those shields become automatic weapons and then they become flamethrowers. So that's one piece of that. Um, You have these like drones that chase you with like razor blades on their fans or something. And so as they're chasing and you can only like fight them as like your smallest form. So and that's because you can use a spider web thing Mm -hmm. that we got. If you don't fight them as like your smallest form, you have no spider web. So there's that. I'm trying to figure out if there's a way to defeat them as a larger form because that's where I'm stuck. And then uh, you've also got like these mech type characters that are manned by, um, you know, people. And basically they just like straight barrage of bullets. Like if you're hit by it, you could pretty much count yourself down. Uh, so the area I'm at right now is the final area, I think. And you enter this door and all of a sudden four drones pop out. I'm like, oh, God damn it. I'm like, this is going to suck because I can't beat them as I am right now. Then you turn the corner. And there's like several guys with flamethrowers and shields. And you're like, what the hell do I do here? And then you look up and there's a guy in a mech suit who's ready to fire on you and willing. And so it's like all of the enemies culminating into one central location. And I'm trying to figure out what the hell to do to beat them. Uh, So that's where I'm at right now. I think what I have to do is take them up piece by piece. So my idea is to go in as my small self to then take out. uh, And, you know, I don't think I can because... I don't have a way to get back to my biomass, if I'm correct. I have to figure something out. There's got to be a way for me to, like, take out a few enemies, go back, charge back up. Can you, like, grab the drone and throw it at the other guys? You can, but the problem is when there's four or five of them and you're trying to net one drone. so fast. It's just so hard. Yeah, like, you get hit by, like, three or four of them and your, your life just goes down drastically. And on top of that, like... I have taken out the drones, but then I'm at such low health that when I go to try and like take over somebody's body uh, and use them as like a weapon, it I get shot one time and I'm done. So I have to be like perfect, like just super precise in how I handle it. So 
that's where I am right now. I'll, I'll definitely have it beat by like probably tomorrow since I got to prep D&D still tonight um, before our session. Uh, but I'm enjoying it. I think it's a pretty cool game overall. Like you should probably borrow it to go through it. It's super short. I yeah. just, you know, don't have a chance to honestly like go through and game like constant hours a night right now. Um, although that's getting better because um, our son is sleeping through night now. Good. So, yeah, so it's pretty good. Like last night I was playing until about I want to say I was playing until about 10, 15. And I was like, all right, I got to do more D&D prep. So like I set that down, I did D&D prep and I looked at the clock and it was like 11 something. I'm like, oh, shit, he hasn't eaten yet. And I'm like, normally he wants to eat at 1030, but he's actively sleeping longer, which is super cool. Uh, so Good. hopefully that means very soon we'll have, you know, 730 p.m. sleep time and then no feedings, which means I can prep things. I can game. I can do my stuff without having to like get up, go feed, come back down, fall half asleep, etc. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You might even have time to spend with Angela. I I might. <laughs> yeah, no, she's already in bed by bed, so it's just me. Um, so I mean, that's kind of the benefit of our early bird. Yeah, she's got to be up like super early. So for me, it's it's kind of nice like we, All night. we hang out we hang out together for a few hours, she goes to bed, I'm up for a few hours doing my thing. She goes to work before I do. We see each other. We hang out a few hours, et cetera, rinse and repeat. And then the weekends we have our time together. Yeah, so. we're we're the opposite way at my house. I'm up like an hour or two before I have to go to work. And I just mostly I just lay there and watch YouTube. I I don't really game as much. I used to do that, or like sometimes if something's brand new and out, like and I'm really excited about it, I'll like game in the mornings. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, Anyways. I, can't, I can't. I gotta. I have to take the kid to daycare. I've got to eat yeah. breakfast. I got to work out, and then once I, once I, it's actively... easy when you don't take care of yourself or have to take care of anyone else, John. Yeah, it, it totally is. <laughs> uh, and then obviously, I got to work, and luckily, I work from home, so it's not too big of a deal uh, yeah. to just kind of hang back. But everyone asks me, like, "Will you work from home? Can't you just play video games?" I'm like, no. Yeah, like like, that's not how it works. (laughs) Like work from home is it's elegant, but it's not that elegant. Yeah, I work from home every other week and I I like going into the office. I I definitely feel like I can get more done easily there than I can at home. Like, I mean, I work in this room that is a mecca to all the things that I use to distract myself. So, I mean, I'm pretty focused. Like, it's not like I'm playing games or anything during the week. But, you know, at, at, at work, there's not all my stuff to stare at all the time. Well, my office obviously changed. I've got books behind me now. So it's like, yeah. mm, but there are magic cards back there. So that could be a distraction. Yeah. And all your mini consoles. Uh, Yeah. And a gaming PC in here as well, connected to the same exact monitors. Like, it is super easy if I wanted to just be like, turn on this PC, switch HDMI game with this. Like I could theoretically, but no, you got like, stuff I got, to do. I got way too much work to do on yeah. a day to day basis. So yeah, not happening. And yeah, I'm actually doing very well at work. So I don't need to, I don't need to lose that job. Yeah. So, so for me this week, I picked up nothing. The, um, I think the eShops closed tomorrow, the 27th, right? Yep. So, I, I think I've given up the idea of actually going on and purchasing something on the eShop. It sounds like something I might just get like, you know, a flash cart and a 2DS in the future. That's kind of how I've seen myself engaging with 3DS content down the road. 
and uh you know whatever we'll see what happens in the future how that works out yeah uh, dude that stuff's gonna be emulated hardcore down the road so oh, they I'm, already are like yeah that's what i'm saying like i just get a flash cart and a 2ds and i i picture myself playing more of the 3ds and ds library that way at some point in the future because it just seems i don't know more interesting part of me wonders if like gerard's whole thing was like a last minute thing like reminder from nintendo but not a last minute reminder from Nintendo of like, buy all your games. Um, like did they secretly sponsor him to purchase every game in the eShop? Cause it's not like it was a huge. No, you legally them. have to disclose all of that. Well, maybe it was, and a he's very Nintendo good. Employee. He's very good at doing his, his work and his disclosures and everything. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was cool. I really enjoyed it, but yeah, I was just like, maybe Nintendo is like, <laughs> Go buy all the eShop games. It's closing here, Gerard. Here's twenty something thousand dollars to buy everything. Right now, they did get sponsor money for doing those. He showed uh, at the beginning like a montage of him using all the sponsor clips from his other videos for it. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Like this video is sponsored by this video is sponsored by this video is sponsored by, and it just keeps yeah. going through. So I I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, but go on. Yeah, so this week I've been playing Metroid Prime, uh, trying to get through that. It is. Very good. It is fun. It is easy to get lost. (laughs) Like any Metroidvania game, I am like running back and forth. I'm trying to use a guide, not all the time, just kind of when I get stuck, but it's like, okay, now I've got the gravity suit. I know there's like places that I can go that are liquid. Where are those places? I got to (laughs) remember. And it's hard. And it's like, I'm not really following the guide in the optimum way because if you've never played Prime before, You don't just like get to the last boss and finish the game and that's it because you went through and got all the power ups. There's these 12 keys that you need to get throughout the game. And they're kind of all over the place. And you could save yourself a lot of time at the end of game having to run to all those places if you just got them when you were able to and nearby. So I haven't been doing that. I found one on my own, so it'll probably be just kind of power through the game as much as I can and then kind of heavily rely on a guide at the end to just get the MacGuffins and then move on. So that's mostly what I've been playing. I did boot up Pikmin and I got the Wii set up and I played, I think, like one or two more levels past where I had been on the iPad. So I think I'm on like day five or something now. Um, I'm pretty sure the next thing I'm probably going to get is like blue Pikmin uh, so that I can go through some water on this level. But it that was pretty fun. You know, honestly, it's it's not like night and day difference, but I can tell that it's better. Like I'm having a better experience on the Wii um, using the actual GameCube controller as opposed to like an Xbox controller on the iPad. Like the iPad does a pretty good job, but yeah, this is why I just really prefer relying on actually playing a game and stuff when we're talking about, I don't know, something that's like our new games resolution or like games that we're playing on a weekly basis. Cause I feel like if I actually want to really give my opinion on something, it makes more sense to give the real thing, the actual chance because sometimes emulation just kind of gets you an idea of it. And while that can be fine, it's just not 
fair to the game somehow in my mind. Yeah, I can. I I'm can all about saving the money. I don't care about that. Like, well, I mean, you borrowed <laughs> Pikmin and a controller from me, so I'm pretty sure you saved like I don't know seventy dollars right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I can't find a nunchuck, dude. I swear in my mind's eye, I can see myself having a black and a white nunchuck and at least one more Wii U controller or Wiimote. You, you, know, you know, I have like, yeah, I, I 10 nunchucks. I have like 10, but, dude, I pick them up for like two bucks all the time. Yeah. I just, I thought I had one. I've been looking everywhere because my original plan for the inflation deflation was I was going to play RE4 on the PS4 last night. And then play it on the Wii this morning because I have both versions. And then I figured you'd play the GameCube and we could kind of talk about like some of the major differences between each of them. But what are you going to do? I looked in yeah. all the places where I thought it would be and it were not in any of them. Well, if you would like a nunchuck, I have a lot. So you yeah. can take one with you. Yeah, so. I'll definitely take one. Yeah. Um. Cool. Yeah, I totally get you on the... Uh, you know, doing justice for the game and playing it on the original hardware component. That's actually one of the main reasons that I'm so, you know, big into like my Super Nintendo game collection and my Nintendo game collection and so on, because it, could I play it on a virtual console, you know, like as an emulation? Sure. Could I play it on a Wii? Yeah, there's games that have been re-released on Wii. I could play it on Wii U, etc. But there's something about playing original hardware. And it's one it's of the things It's a controller. That- for and, me i think like yeah. having the original controller is like how i would prefer like even though i'm playing nes games on my game boy micro i mean that's basically the same controller as an nes controller but just like the feel of an nes controllers like concave buttons and like the square corners of it and it's just that perfect size like you know I feel more in tune with the time, I guess, being somebody that has actual nostalgia for having touched it, but never having owned it. I would it's, feel more in tune with it. It's kind of akin to playing like Pac-Man on an Atari versus Pac-Man on an actual arcade cabinet. Yeah. There's just something different about like, yeah, it's a joystick and you know, and that's fine, but there's something different about playing it on a cabinet. And you get that feeling all the time with a lot of those games and pinball would be another one, like playing pinball in an actual pinball machine versus playing it. I don't know, man, Microsoft, the space cadet. That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. (laughs) That's the one I want that turned into a real table. I'm pretty sure somebody did make a real table or they remastered it, but yeah, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, But same concept, right? So I totally get you totally with you on that. And uh, it's definitely a way to appreciate video games is playing it on original hardware. And I think that's why we continue to see a lot of these games, you know, stay up in price, even though digital releases have come out because people just want that nostalgia. They want the original hardware and it's a better feel and look than I got to get that Sega mini so that we can like, do some games on there i mean that's emulation too but like the thing is there is kind of a certain point where like sometimes emulation is good enough for certain things like i don't feel like playing the playstation classic is necessarily like underscoring a lot of things like i don't know maybe this copy of uh this rom of um brave fencer musashi i'm playing maybe it's not everything you know I don't know exactly. Like I definitely had to go in and change the clock speed to get through certain cutscenes because they would just freeze. 
and I went in and like adjusted some of the textures with some of the options that it has in the menu to make it look a little bit sharper and kind of clean it up a little bit because mm-hmm. man, does it look super blocky? So it's like, it might not be perfect, but that's just a game I'm playing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get it. Well, uh, let's dive into a little discussion topic. So we didn't, I think when we were talking with Barry a while back, we we're going to chat D and D and then we paused and said, now let's just go ahead and, and talk D and D. Yeah. We ended we up going hadn't... until <laughs> I didn't want to go till on that episode anyways. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I was, I think you didn't want to go to like I was like nine thirty our time or something or no yeah. I, I don't remember the exact time but it was like I told you I'm like watch we're gonna finish at like nine thirty two yeah and we did we finished right at nine thirty two it was fantastic uh, but it's always a good conversation with Barry um, okay so discussion topic wise D and D I mean we've played a, a few Strixhaven uh, sessions actually since uh, I guess since the start of a year and. You know, I got your opinion on like the first session, but, you know, which I think was orientation was the first section. Since that has happened, we've had two other sessions, one of which you all finally went to your classes and uh, you were kind of, you know, hanging out with your professor and doing whatever you need to do in the class. And at some point there's an incursion that happens and, um, you know, you guys go through this whole crazy fight uh, with this incursion in which uh, Joel's character Seeker, who is. I'm sorry. It's got to be my favorite character so far out of all of you and yours as well. Like you're, you're definitely right there with them just because of the way you do handle your characters. It's absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Um, and then I really Nox, get into this character. And then my wife has like her emo character, which yeah. I'm starting to build more into. And I did that last session. Uh, Tara, her character, I'm still kind of trying to figure out a little bit. And I think Ginny, she is too. <laughs> yeah. And then Jenny is just like, you know, yeah. You know, Fez like her, her bug. Yeah. So it's pretty funny. But um, so you guys also experienced the uh, seat of magical resting uh, for its full potential, actually. So uh, two of us those, did. Uh, two of you did. Yeah, that was last session. So let's go back to incursion. The incursion happens. You keep uh, saying incursion like it's a capital I word, like it's from the Marvel Universe. It's an incursion. It totally is. I mean, you called it that in a damn session. So I'm going to keep it going. You called it an incursion, so don't go. It on was me an about attack it. in the library. It was an incursion in the library. And you're the one that specifically said incursion, so I'm going to keep saying I it. I did now. say incursion. I don't. You remember did that. say incursion. You said multiple times last week. So the incursion in the in the biblioplex um, was by the auric, and you had a mage hunter that you faced, as well as like a giant larva of a mage hunter, and uh, you guys battled them out. But then Seeker was killed in the process and explodes. Uh, in this bright white light, his clothing is just sitting there and everybody's like in this solemn, you know, like what's going on? Like Seeker just died. Tara's super angry because she's like, oh, you just killed a character like session two and everything like super pissed off, not knowing that like DM has a plan like this is what happens. And so then Seeker comes back naked and you all enjoy your time on the seat of magical resting where you got a hero's feast for rolling in that 20, which I think was absolutely great to incorporate that. Uh, because it does give you guys a little bit, bit of a boost because those battles are quite hard, actually. That mage oh, hunter I would have been tough. dead if I didn't have that extra life. Yeah. So that worked out great for you. And I mean, that mage hunter fight was like rated for level one. And I'm like, there's no way that was a level one fight. No, it's a tough fight. I yeah. thought we were going to like be in way worse shape. Like it just kind of like it. it well, you know, in D&D, once things start going bad, they get worse. 
Yeah, and that's that I had some pretty bad rolls. Like, I'm sure if I hit a couple more of those rolls, you guys were TPK'd for yeah. sure. Um, so that was a tough one. But yeah, so that that happened. And like the next a few days passed by, basically. Um, so the way I'm handling the campaign is you guys will do like your thing. And then like, oh, several weeks have passed or a week has passed. And you guys have done X in your schedule just to kind of because we're talking a year. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked about it. Strixhaven specifically is like, here's four big events that happen <clears throat> over the course of a year. How the hell do you like, you know, I'm, was I'm that the first event that technically was the first event? So, I mean, I guess what Strixhaven is supposed to be incorporating is a lot more actual use of downtime activity like have you done much research or looking into that like i've watched some videos on youtube I, where people talk about it i have but i don't want to bore you guys either and because everybody's in their different activities it's not like i can be oh so now we're gonna hang out and do Ginny's whole downtime activity blah 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 blah. here's what happens which is why i have you guys going around as a group and also why it's incorporated like while well, technically you aren't in a club, you could still participate in club like activities. And so that way we're not going like solo adventures all over the place on these clubs and extracurriculars. Yeah. I That's mean, it's kind of the approach you can like engage it in like some other ways, maybe like instead of taking away from everybody's time, you know, you can always do like a little write up of a thing to give to somebody and just be like, you know, here's a thing that happened to you in class one day or whatever. I mean, it's extra work for you, but like in my mind, like that's how you would fill the time to make it feel more like stuff has happened is just give everybody like glimpses into things that happen. Use montage, like not actually stuff that we have to engage in, but just, you know, things that happen or passive things. Yeah, the only problem with that is the railroading aspect that can happen, right? Because if I say, hey, this happened to you, then somebody doesn't feel like the character has the full control um, into what's occurring in their day-to-day -day life in Strixhaven. So I kind of have to, there's a fine balance between how much oversight I can provide DMing and how much I can give you guys to engage with. So like, well, but example, I mean, it's that or nothing, right? Like well, either but, you skip over all the time, like it didn't happen or you say something happened. Well, and that's why I'm giving you guys spurts of fun activities and then yeah. I can kind of build from there. So it's still early development, but that's like your clay sculpting with that one character that turned into mm -hmm. ghost, which was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. The entire yeah. That was perfect. Moments like that will make yeah. it feel like we've actually done things. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish. So that's why, like, you know, while you were doing that, I had Joel's character auditioning for a play and rolling. Right. And then had the entire thing there. And then Fez, who ended up turning into a tree and expanding it out to that and then allowing the other characters to say, oh, hey, Fez just got like the part of a tree or a great oak. And she was able to expand that into the horticulture club, which came yeah. up next. And and so on. Obviously, we had Tara last week, so it's different. But then you have like Joel helping Tara with her student body president campaign and, yeah. the, and the stuff going on with that. So I'm trying to incorporate you guys in, in different moments uh, within the campaign. So if I can allocate like. 10 to 15 minutes as part of a session per person that gives me about an hour of time for all of you and you guys will take about 10 to 15 minutes to yeah. go through those different things and it's nice because i can play off of you in the process so like the ghost thing was completely 
you know, yeah, right out the top, funny. right? But, you know, Joel kind of chiming in and that's where people at the table can kind of interact too, right? So Joel popping up his ghost music and then like tying, I'm like, Joel, hit the music. And then like, you're going through your whole thing. Everyone's laughing, having a good time. They're not interacted directly into that part of the campaign, but they feel like they're part of it and they're there, which is what I wanted in those scenes. And so I felt that those worked out. Um, but then you guys obviously last session battled a bunch of frogs, which technically I, uh, so I didn't tell you guys this last week, but, um, those frogs were actually giant toad stats because the giant frog stats were too weak. And so mm. the giant toads would allow me to get a little more like, you know, pressure. Yeah, on that was a tough fight, fight too. Yeah. So if I would have gone giant frogs or HP is like 12, you know, and you guys would have knocked like Ginny is dealing like 18 damage. She would have killed them all in one strike yeah. on her own right so um and you guys were short one person too which i wasn't anticipating until like day of so that also did not help prep wise i could have removed one toad but then it would have been too easy it's like you could have turned one into a frog i probably i mean but then i'll have somebody like joel in the background questioning well why'd that one have like 20 hp and this one has 34 like that's I can guarantee you that's what would happen because he's called me out on that before. I'm like, they were different sizes, Joel. Like, just yeah, it doesn't matter. It. There's a range of HP. They don't yeah, all and, have the same. And, you, and you're not supposed to know how much HP. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's why I always laugh. I'm like, the scale you of DM one to one hundred. Hard. <laughs> yeah, on a scale of one to one hundred, how much HP is it at? Oh, it's a solid twenty. <laughs> so, yeah, I think. I think it's fun so far, and then I've got some fun stuff prepped tonight. Um, your first field trip. You know, we talked yeah. about it last week. So I so, and that's with the horticulture club. Yeah. And I'm having a very tough time adapting what I had. Like, honestly, I started with a concept of like what I wanted you guys to do. And I was like, oh, I'll just take the story and I'll transition it to you already know it's underdark. Um, so like I'll transition this to fit the underdark. And as I'm reading through this one shot again, I'm like, I can't do this as it is. So like I'm not kidding you. I have homebrewed the entire like one shot session tonight. Like I'm cool. still finishing it up, but it's straight up homebrew. Cause I just can't, I can adapt certain elements of that, like other thing. But like, I just found myself like, okay, if I cross out this word, this word, I'm like, no, that absolutely makes no sense. And like, why would these particular characters be here versus over here? And so yeah, I just rewrote this entire one shot to fit the narrative of what I need. And uh, I think you guys will have fun with it. I don't know how long it's going to take you, um, but it should be pretty fun. And then I guess one last piece, too, uh, that we dove into last week was a relationship building of the campaign. This was the first experience you all had in terms of rivals and friends and love interests. So you, of course, developed your friends. You don't have any rival. Well, you guys all have rivals in my uh, Mako Dralfoy group or whatever you guys are calling him. Yeah. Um, instead of Draco Malfoy. Uh, but yeah, so we have that as your rival group, but I laugh so hard. Joel has some stuff planned that I am dying to implement, but it's going to be long. I mean, we're talking like a year of this implementation to happen. And it's just something in I got game be, year or in real year in real year. It's going to be like, dude, I have, I play long term with D&D story for yeah. sure. Like my Avernus campaign, their seeds I planted that were within like the first couple weeks of my sessions and developed over time. And mm -hmm. it was end game, like a year and a half later, it was end game type stuff and all kind of tying things together. This is like a masterclass on shenanigans that he and I are pulling right now. So there's some fun stuff tied to that. And then also things. Is that he actually Dumbledore? 
no <laughs> but that would be hilarious no it's something completely it's honestly just something hilarious it's just hilarious and then uh with the relationship stuff too like I introduce you all to different characters and i know it was so funny his his rivalry with um with the shopkeeper now yeah like it's i i love doing that so much so i'm happy that we're starting to implement the rivalries and such and i gotta take notes on that how you all interact but i think so far it's going well i think you guys are having a pretty good time and you know we'll keep it going so always an open platform after session so if something i just realized something yeah we have no idea why that happened and we haven't asked anybody either why what happened the incursion yeah you guys did you guys asked who it was oric you guys were the professor riddle who came up to you guys he oh. told you he told you exactly why he said that the auric have had a thing against strixhaven for many years and they want to see it destroyed from the inside out and so if you recall well joel's character probably hasn't told you guys but i he specifically said join us the auric whispered in his ear and ven killed him when he wouldn't mm. when he said no um and then the mage hunter was specifically there to kill off strixhaven students mm. so the auric specifically came in to they're trying to destroy strixhaven from within okay it, but that's maybe it's you, in my notes and i just forgot that's all you know you don't know anything else tied to it okay so still at yeah. the beginning of questions oh yeah yeah still at the very beginning of questions like you guys have come across like that stuff like every time after a session so far you've had like some ooze that's come up that's come up several times you guys have taken samples but nobody's done anything with said samples they've just said i'm mm -hmm. collecting ooze and nothing ever happens with it so yeah i just i've gotten a good laugh out of those as well because you guys are like we're gonna do all of these things and then you don't do anything with it like okay, yeah that's fine with me it's less prep work and less on the fly thinking so ryan's like note taking ask john about ooze right <laughs> <laughs> all right so diving into our articles uh this week we're talking uh playstation winning the 2022 publisher of the year award for metacritic uk regulators had finally sided with microsoft over call of duty on the playstation and those concerns and uh random here smash bros melee hd unlikely to happen according to a former nintendo employee or former nintendo employees first one here is logan moore at comicbook.com that's the playstation awards or playstation award um i think this is pretty cool i think it's a testament to and microsoft won in 2021 so i think it's a testament to like the work that sony is doing and the games that they are putting out and it does kind of make you question right like the whole microsoft deal and what's happening like microsoft's had bethesda for what like a couple years now they're getting activision blizzard um but sony continues to pump out great exclusives which are highly touted uh in the market and are highly rated by consumers and of course they're sitting here you know winning awards right and games like horizon zero dawn god of war um you've also got like the demon souls remake returnal all of these are fantastic games that have come out exclusively for the console and then of course ported over to pc um you know i think it's it's cool i think it's it's a good award i think that it's uh it's definitely worthwhile to keep an eye on like 2023 to see who wins in that respect and it's it's also kind of making me question nintendo a little bit too when reading through this it's like you know a lot of these publishers kind of rounded out like it's not just sony and microsoft nintendo we're talking everyone that's in the it's market. a pretty big field and yeah i look back at a couple years and it's not just like oh it was sony this year and microsoft the next year and then it was sony the year after that and then it was sony and then it was microsoft like no it's like different 
publishers of different sizes at different ratings each year. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, I, I think Nintendo should be up there. I don't know if you looked at the prior years and if they had won before, but like Nintendo puts out a lot of first party games. And to see that, you know, it was Sony and a Microsoft behind them. And then the year before it was like Microsoft and Sony behind them. It's just interesting. Nintendo is not even like top three, given the amount of games they pump out on a day to day basis or not day to day, but annual basis. And of course, this is based on average, too. So, I mean, you got to take that into effect. If Nintendo is pumping out like 50 games a year and not all of them are highly rated, well, that's going to drive your average down versus Sony, who might put out like, what, 10 games a year. And they're all like AAA high end titles in terms of uh, rating and quality. So I can see where average would kind of be a big player here uh for sony and microsoft in particular yeah yeah are you looking at the list of prior winners uh i was trying to find it on here gotcha so not not a whole lot more on there is there anything you want to chat about in that it's just a cool award no, again we're mention. good all right cool so the big news is uh <clears throat> the uk regulators have sided with microsoft which is obviously going to have a downstream effect on different markets and the regulations like the fda F, no not fda geez ftc um I don't know why I just went to agriculture all of a sudden. So the FTC and, uh, or is it FCC? I don't remember. (laughs) The ATF commented. We have too many. We have too many. It's the NSA. They're listening in right now. Now we have too many damn acronyms in the government, whichever agency, I think it's FCC. Um, I think it's going to have downstream effects towards their decision as well because of how the UK has gone through and, and handled their business. And, you know, we talked about that this is going to happen. We already know it's going to get approved. Even if it didn't get approved, the worst case scenario is that they don't do business in those countries. But it would not surprise me Microsoft threw a few dollars their way to say, oh, well, we have all the information we need to show that PlayStation will not be affected by blah, blah, blah. That's pretty much lying in the pockets. Like, to make that decision when there was doubt like a week ago and all of a sudden there's no doubt in your mind that this is not going to affect the industry. Mm, a little fishy. Well, so they say in the article that their math was all bogus. So they had done their calculations for projections on there, but they were using only like, um, let's see, on a five-year basis to losses on just a one-year uh, basis. And Microsoft argued it had clear errors that ultimately skewed the results. CMA now has now updated its model and admits Microsoft would actually f- see financial losses if it withheld Call of Duty from PlayStation. So in their original numbers they were looking at, they had seen like, oh, no, they're not going to lose money if they take this from them. But they were just like showing a one year loss over a five year period instead of five years of loss consecutively. So now it seems like I mean, and that's the argument they've been trying to make is that, you know, it doesn't make financial sense to remove it from PlayStation because there's so many people that buy it on PlayStation. And like when you look at the numbers for like console sales and stuff, when they release those, I mean, especially like overseas and stuff in Japan, like nobody has an Xbox compared to how many people have a PlayStation. So, I mean, it it might not even make sense in the future for them to have everything be exclusive. Like, you know, if you could put out Blizzard games that are really popular, like Diablo and Starcraft and stuff like that, like those are not just popular in the US. Those are internationally popular, like specifically Korea. Yeah, like, it does it make sense to withhold those from potential releases on Sony consoles if you would have access to, like, 
many, many times the audience size. Because it well, might not be big enough to bring people in, but it might be big enough for people to buy if they already have the console. Well, and here, here's the thing, too. <clears throat> and I've made this argument the entire way through. This has never just been about Call of Duty for Microsoft. This has been about the amount of other IPs that Activision actively owns right now. Call of Duty is obviously well, and King financially. I'm sorry? King with Candy King. Crush and all oh, of yeah, their yeah. stuff, too. Yeah. So you have these like two financial juggernauts that are coming in with Call of Duty and Candy Crush in this case, right? That are bringing in all of this crazy amount of revenue. But then you have all of these other IPs that are going to make make it worthwhile to boost up your console sales yeah. um, significantly. I mean, Blizzard's can, been suffering. Well, when you could say, hey, you know, we're going to bring Diablo out on PC and Xbox exclusive. It's not coming over to Mike or it's not going over to Sony. It's not going to and potentially Nintendo, right? Because the relationship's good there. But if they're able to block out things directly from Sony, why wouldn't they? Like if well, they can look at projections to say, oh, well, Diablo would sell probably X amount on the PlayStation, but we can gain X amount of consoles and subscriptions to Game Pass by just having it exclusive. They're going to do that. They're going to take things like Spyro and keep Spyro, you know, potentially on just their console. You know, it, it yeah, just, but there's a lot of titles they have. Those aren't the ones that I think would actually do something like that. Like Diablo... I'm sure is big enough internationally that if they put it on PlayStation, like they would have hundreds of millions of units that they, or, you know, I mean, tens of millions of units that they could sell in Japan to people who have PlayStations when like, there's only like half a million Xboxes. Like, yeah, if they kept it exclusive, it would die in that market because nobody there would buy it. Like you'd have a maximum, sales size for that entire market of like a few hundred thousand people or is that the way that you gain footprint in different countries by making those games it'll be on pc if if everything they're going to do is going to be on pc and microsoft and they're purely just trying to bring people to game pass it'll be fine but like they're not going to move consoles with these types of exclusives outside of maybe in the u.s and the uk well and that's where i think the games like those <clears throat> Those games like Spyro, Tony Hawk is technically on there. Um, you know, you obviously have StarCraft, which you've mentioned, but would you uh, buy an Xbox to play Tony Hawk? Well, if I was a big Tony Hawk fan and the only place I there could are play no Tony big Hawk, Tony Hawk fans anymore because they hadn't made a game in so long. Like it was a huge just yeah, just remastered. Yeah, exactly. They just redid one and two, but you wouldn't buy an Xbox to play that remaster. Even if you were nostalgic for the old one, you wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to go spend $300 on Tony Hawk. No, but if you had enough titles, and here's the thing, a lot of those titles that they have are nostalgia-based titles. I mean, you have Prototype on there, too, which could definitely be their answer to Spider-Man. Nobody's uh, going to buy Prototype for an Xbox. It depends on what you're doing. And if you continue to have more and more of these nostalgic-based games, the other one is Crash Bandicoot. I'm not saying that those are system pushers, but as you continue to build up that library of exclusive games, yes, you are going to move consoles with those titles because, oh, I want to play the new Crash. I can't play it on there because it's only on Xbox. Oh, I want to play a new yeah, but it looks good. I, I think at that it. point you're buying it for game pass and its whole lineup of exclusives rather than just saying it's one game that's making you do that. Yeah. And exactly. And you'll continue to consider building up game pass, which we already know it will push consoles because if you know, and it might just push like series S like maybe that's yeah. all it pushes. I mean, that's, that's what it's that's doing fine. for me. Yeah. yeah. 
and that's fine. Um, but it, it always has been more than just Call of Duty. Call of Duty is just a financial stake to say, this is profitable for us. We can, we can justify, you know, what we're doing. And then, oh, all of these other titles, they could stay Xbox exclusive. And it's not going to hurt our bottom line because they're not widespread games or selling millions and millions of copies on a worldwide basis. We can keep it here and people will go into Game Pass specifically for that, whether it's PC or whether it's by Series S or whatever. So yeah. I think it's a big thing there. And then, of course, the other thing that came out recently was uh, Redfall. And so I think, you know, the UK and how well, not out this, yet, not out yet, but Redfall so apparently the creative director came out and said, hey, it was actually being created for the PlayStation 5 as well. But when Bethesda was purchased, Microsoft scrapped plans altogether. Microsoft has since come out and said, we haven't removed any games from PlayStation 5. And they noted Ghostwire Tokyo and Deathloop, both of which were contractually, they were contractually obligated to release as exclusives. So you could throw that argument out the water. You know, I think it's it's kind of showing, I think that shows the true colors. And somebody was obviously trying to out Microsoft there in the middle of this whole situation of what's going on is that they are going to likely keep a bunch of exclusives and you know rightfully they should i mean they they're purchasing these studios and developers and publishers and so on they should keep these as exclusive you know it makes sense financially to do this but the whole argument being that it's for the betterment of gaming that's where i have an issue like if you just straight up came out and said look we're going to keep our key titles they're going to be multi-platform call of duty it doesn't make financial sense but we are going to keep certain games exclusive because frankly we should then that's fine but like to continually come out and say no this is best for gaming it's going to create competition and or not create competition it's going to be great for gaming and access and for gamers all around not really if i want to play certain games and now i got to buy game pass and now i've got to go ahead and get a series s to do that that's not good for me as a consumer financially like in the sense that okay for call of duty if if microsoft's big play with call of duty is the fact that they're going to be financially in control of the direction that everything's going to go because they'll be the developer at that point they'll have full control so they can determine okay what kind of model are we going to use for the finances how is that going to impact game pass how is all that going to play out like we don't have to worry about activision telling us how they want to make money off of this game and then just hosting it on our platform so that's going to streamline a lot of that kind of stuff and then sony's just going to have to kind of deal with whatever financial model it's going to be on their side so if they don't want to be beholden to that then like people are pretending like sony can't just go out and make a great first person shooter i'm not saying it would be easy but like battlefield just isn't really pulling its weight anymore halo isn't really pulling its weight anymore like people dig apex and fortnite but those aren't necessarily the same type of thing that call of duty is so it's like it's all the more reasonable that PlayStation really should just be like, oh, wait, we do have like a whole stable roster of old IP that we abandoned because we've just been leaning on Call of Duty every couple of years. Like, go out and make a a game that you can be in control of then. Like, how is that not good for us, the consumer, that there's more competition derived from that? Like, I know that's buying into the story Microsoft is trying to sell here, and that's kind of like the optimum, like, you know oh beautiful world if it worked out that way but like that's what should be happening if they don't want to be beholden they should go out and just make a game yeah i mean they have kill zone kill zone sitting there ready for ps5 nothing is out obviously we all remember the kill zone 2 trailer 
you still haven't made that a reality. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you do have a uh, mag as well, which I think was massive something game. I don't remember what the hell it was, but resistance uh, resistance would be another one. There's plenty of games out there that they can revive or something um, new. But do they have the same notoriety? Not really. So that's kind of the issue. But yeah, you're right. Something new. I would personally they like have to see Destiny, them. and Destiny is arguably like one of the other best shooters out there on the market. That's but got financially like, that that one also makes no sense for them financially to make exclusive. So isn't it? I, though? Is Destiny on Xbox? Pretty and sure it dumb? is. Pretty sure it is. Uh, but you know, I would like to see them revive some of those older titles, and maybe this does light a fire under Sony's butt. Uh, you know, move forward to some of these older IPs and, you know, make some of a SOCOM would be another yeah, one. Yeah, it is. I'm so, dumb. I, yeah, I haven't so, played Destiny since the first one. Yeah. Dude, a SOCOM multiplayer would probably be pretty cool too. SOCOM? Mm, that's when I hear people want to bring and, back a lot. Honestly, if they brought SOCOM back and did multiplayer, it looks so much like Call of Duty that as long as they made it super close, they'd be okay in that respect. So, you know, we'll see. And, you know, it would be nice to just have a a title that they could rely on for themselves. Like if they're really wary of the deals that they can make with Microsoft and how much they can trust them to keep those, you know, beyond those 10 year deals that they're offering, like they're going to have to adjust and do this. Like they're really not going to have a choice at some point. If they're afraid enough that it will become exclusive, they'll need to start on that sooner rather than later. Well, I think the argument, I want to say it was Phil Spencer to set it, or it might have been just a fake bot account, but that it was supposed to be Phil Spencer said this, that 10 years should be enough time for Sony to make a new IP. That yeah. they're something for them to make. Like that's enough time for them probably to probably one and a half games. They probably but, make the first one and be like halfway through developing the second one by the time the deal would expire. And then they'd probably still get at least one Call of Duty, because like by then, it'll probably be cross time between it's half PS6, half PS5, and Microsoft's still like, eh, let them have one more so that we could take advantage of everybody that bought a PS5 because they bought like eight times more of those than Xbox Series X's. But here's the thing, like the 10-year limit and some of what has been said obviously is a clear indication that Microsoft intends for this to be exclusive unless they are re-upping those deals after 10 years, which is possible. I mean, it's a long time from now. So yeah. who, knows? who knows? We may have just yeah. AI churning out a brand new Call of Duty every month by then. Maybe they anticipate that cloud gaming will be the big thing and that console, like physical media and consoles won't be a thing anymore. And they're anticipating that in 10 years. That could be part of it too. So there's a lot of ifs that are tied into this. Yeah, so, that would be interesting if they got out of doing physical consoles. They wouldn't. I think we've talked about this many times before. I think that's they would the be less competitors. I think it's the direction they're going. I think they're going to become straight up like a developer and publisher for these titles and releasing them on. I mean, they have PCs, just PCs a streaming around. service. Yeah, even that. Just some, like if they could just get on PlayStation as Game Pass and that's it. I don't see mm -hmm. why like if they weren't selling consoles, I have I see no reason why Sony can't develop a relationship with them to say, "Oh, you're out of the console market altogether. Yeah, we'll add Game Pass for whatever fee and have access to all of your titles on here." And of course, Sony paying Microsoft for exclusive rights over Nintendo. You know, mm -hmm. I, I can see that. And then from the ashes comes Sega. So <laughs> <laughs> all right so speaking of remakes and remasters and everything else uh smash bros melee is unlikely to have an hd version according to some former employees 
Uh, oh, and by the way, that last article is Tom Warren at The Verge. Uh, so Liam Dolan, Nintendo Life for this one. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I this I is from a podcast, and, right? Yeah, with, I... Oh, go on, sorry. Oh, with Kat Ellis and Krista Yang. I guess they were former NOA uh, employees or Nintendo of America employees, and they do a podcast where they talk about Nintendo stuff. Here's the thing. Why in the hell would they make an HD remaster of this game? Why is this even a question? So, I mean, off the top of my head, maybe the fact that Resident Evil 4 Remake and Metroid Prime Remake are both GameCube games and they're the best rated games of this year. And this is probably the most favored fighting game of all time. Like, it seems on the surface to make sense as an idea to the layperson. But smash bros it like the roster on the new one why would you ever need to do a melee you wouldn't because need to. people like, still play melee you just put the stages on there like i get it people still play melee because there's certain elements in the gameplay yeah, the mechanics but, of how it's put together yeah i get that being the main component but like why does that benefit nintendo in any shape or form to release a new smash bro like well it doesn't were- and that's why they wouldn't yeah, it just but fans uh, think that they would want this. Yeah, fans can think whatever they want in this case. Like, dude, this this would have no benefit to Nintendo whatsoever to have melee. Re- I mean, maybe you'd get enough people to want to buy it, or if you made it like a timed, you know, a timed thing, like they have on everything else to say, oh well, we're selling Smash Bros. Melee, we're releasing in HD on the switch or switch Two or whatever for a limited time then yeah you might I mean, get like people going bananas to buy limited stock it could benefit nintendo in a community relations aspect like the fact that they've you know done all the banning for like smash tournaments because of the like pirated software that they use to update smash to put in like online play and stuff if they were to do that natively and do a first party release of it and become more embracing and supportive of competitive smash melee in the market and competitive smash in general like that could do leagues of good to repair some of the community relationships that they've damaged over the years by being so you know authoritarian with their perspective on it but i but mean you know what you know what you do as nintendo you go into the existing smash bros ultimate which is supposed to be ultimate right all of the mm-hmm. great stuff and you put in settings and rules that say melee settings brawl no, settings and it's, no, yeah, it's already a could. done game I, I know they're not releasing like, any more content. Yeah, I know. And I'm just, Sakurai I get it. I get built it. it. I'm just saying that way. that is something that they could have done. If you want to have goodwill with the fans, you incorporate the ability to change certain rules and think like basically the ability to edit the game so you can play it as you see fit. So yes, you have That's ultimate not a real this- thing that happens though. How would that not be a real thing? There's settings all the time in video games. Yeah, but you can't go and pick up, street fight like why do you think they make eight versions of every street fighter because they go in and retreat the rules and then sell it they don't just say all right well we're just gonna make a street fighter and you could just like turn on alpha settings or turn on this other setting like they do that when they release like a but collage the, game later on down the road but, but they'll smash sell you three bros, versions in the middle 
Smash Bros uniquely though has the ability to edit already. If I want one item, I can have one item. If I want 10 items, I can have 10 items. If I want all, yeah, I but can have all. Do I want them to come in at a certain rate? Yes or no? Do I want Smash Balls in here? Do I not want Smash Balls? Do but I it's want... not about those. It's about like the physical mechanics yeah. of like the engine that it was built on and how the characters interact differently than they do now because of animations and stuff like that like yeah it's hardcore things that even if they wanted to go back and make an hd remake of the fans would lose it because they wouldn't be able to do it accurately like they would never be able to recreate it in a way that would make everybody happy and that's ultimately like the biggest reason probably that they should never even think about doing it yeah probably i i still think with like things like damage settings and all of that that you can make like they've nerfed certain characters and abilities over the years to where they're not Mario as good has a as whole different move set in that game than the new Mario so they would have to put a whole new Mario again into there is a different Mario character I mean is that any different than like if they were to put in like Dr. Mario versus regular Mario Dr. Mario has different move sets so could you not just have Dr. Mario melee- has the same move set doesn't throws pill yeah well yeah exactly it's just different so like the point is like could you not throw in like melee mario does dr mario not use the flood i don't remember i don't i don't have that game i don't have the newest i'll have to maybe check that out i've played it plenty of times i just don't have it because i always Um, liked older mario and i figured dr mario was just always the same so maybe maybe he um, uses the flood too you're right he probably is i I mean i'm not sure 100 percent. but the point being is that as if you're developing new characters if you can put in new characters into a game with new movesets you can put in an old school character it's like having i'm not saying exactly the same but it's like having toon link versus regular link versus metal link in the game right they all have their own like little quirks and things about them could you not put in like melee mario not saying that's what you call it but like old school mario could go in there you could have like a a 16-bit mario there's different things that you could do as a developer to have move sets that are you know for that specific character so oh i want to play with you know kirby from melee well here's my kirby from melee and the setting to play with kirby from melee like and give the players the ability to to mix things up as they see fit I like see what you're saying, fine. but it it doesn't really track and make sense because like, okay, why would they make uh, an HD release of any old game where they could just take the newest version and just instead of saying, hey, we released that game three years ago and it's done, we're just going to instead update that game and make it totally different and add a bunch of more stuff in. Like they would never do that with any other game why would they do that in this one instance because it's minimal lift to say it's twenty dollars for dlc to get access to these characters that were on the original smash bros or on melee smash bros with these settings it's 20 bucks we'll put in you don't have to ship out any physical they'd have to redo the they'd have to put a whole nother game code of interactions to download i mean no but i mean it's not it's not just that the characters have different movesets. It's that you would need all of the physics and all of the code and everything that was Smash Bros. Again, you'd need to have a whole nother game put in there because that's what all the settings are. All the settings are the whole different game. So now you're adding a whole nother game to that game. So I wouldn't worry so much on the the mechanics. Or that's mechanics, what but- makes Smash Smash. 
Smash is or smash. melee, melee, or melee is melee because of the physical aspects of damage and other components to it. No, so that's it's what I'm saying. how your jump height interacts, what your arc is, what the frame timing startup is for this move or that move. Those are and different from game and to game. A, that's a character build. That's just putting in an. If you developed a new character, and they've already got the code, so they yeah, but it's be... the whole game again. That's what I'm saying. It's not just that you're adding a second Donkey Kong, it's that when you add a second of every character, you've just, instead of releasing an HD version, you've just edited that whole version back into a game that you've already released. Like, it's the same thing. Mm, I, I just don't agree with that. If I have two different characters, if I have Luigi and Mario, Luigi jumps higher to Mario. So if I have two Donkey Kongs, one Donkey Kong that I code in jumps higher than the other, or one can carry and the other can't. I think you're just building in uh, as if you had a new DLC character, it's the same concept. We're releasing six. Let's just say it's the original Smash Bros. We're releasing the original Smash Bros. characters. You could play as them, and it's a setting that you can play on your own. Like here's the stage. It's DLC. It's built in. Here's the f- six new characters or whatever amount of characters. It's built in. That's it. That's all they have to do. Those no, you got to put like, like the smash the target stages and all of the interlude games. You're killing me. No, you don't. You just have to have. That's what is, makes melee melee. If it's a, not all there, then it's not all the same. Okay. If there's no Anyways, home run let's derby, move on from this. If there's no home run derby, yeah, right. No Smash Bros. HD. It's not happening. Stop asking. Yeah. Even Ryan and I are like, it could maybe happen. And here's why. So, okay. Uh, inflation deflation for the week is Resident Evil 4. This is the uh, best game of all time. Not me. According, according to Ryan. <laughs> uh, so we played it on, Ryan played on the PS4. I played on the GameCube, as we stated. It is developed by Capcom Production Studio 4. It was published by Capcom. It was directed by uh, Shinji Mikami. It was released in January of 2005, only for GameCube, as my box states. And that is clearly a lie. Uh, <laughs> it was a survival horror, third-person shooter. Reception is about a 9 out of 10. But some... Ryan specifically consider it to be one of the best games of all time. Um, all right, let me let me dive in uh, plot wise. I'll just go over to plot. Ryan, you'll be covering the bulk of all of us. OK, I'm just going to do my little okay. piece. OK, in 2004, U.S. government agent Leon S. Kennedy, also Paul Mercier is what you got here. That's uh, the voice is, actor. That's what I figured. Is yeah, this is a- just the first clip from uh wiki okay so i'll I'll keep i'll skip the next one ryan didn't edit this for me he set me up for failure he's on a mission to rescue ashley graham the u.s president's daughter who has been abducted by a mysterious cult and there's a 12 in there ryan i don't know why he kept the 12 must be a source uh he travels to an unarmed rural village in spain there's a 13 so that's another source uh where he encounters a group of hostile villagers who pledge their lives to los illuminados the cult that kidnapped ashley the villagers were once simple farmers until becoming infected by a mind-controlling parasite known as Las Plagas. So, um, my experience with this, because I had actually never played it from the very beginning, uh, was very unique for me. I think for me, the cutscene was great at the beginning. I love how they set everything up. I love the interaction with the U.S. government and saying, "Here's what's going on." You know, you're diving in. You're going to rescue President's daughter. You're the person that can do this mission opening up into the cutscene of like walking up to this farmer who's like super quiet and then grabs a flipping hand axe to attack you. You're like, what the hell's going on all of a sudden? Like, so they set it up beautifully. So I really like that. Um, I felt that the, the scenery was fantastic for this game in what I played. Uh, I felt that the, the movements of the enemies were great. What kills me 
and this is probably the case for all Resident Evil games, is when you shoot, you just stand. And there's no like continue walking backwards and shooting yeah. as the enemies are approaching you. It's like run away, pause, shoot, 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 run away, pause, shoot, shoot, shoot. That just kind of drives me crazy. Um, and then obviously like weapons will increase with time. The handgun drove me nuts just because it's hard to aim at first. Um, so like naturally for me, I'm thinking, oh, I need to use this joystick and this joystick to like walk around. So it so basically you're you're like, okay, let me aim. And then you're you shoot the gun or not shoot the gun, but your sight goes all the way up in my experience playing this. I'm like, oh my God, like this is nuts. But I got used to it. And so the cool thing I really liked about like the the fighting. Um, so actually one more thing on the movement. So having to pause to knife an enemy drives me crazy because they're like rushing up to you. They want to stab you. Some are like long range. So you gotta be strategic on like who you knife versus who you don't. And then there's a kicking, which I thought was pretty cool as well for fighting. But as far as like headshots are concerned, oh yeah, like this game has them. The whole like little explosion aspect of when you do a headshot is phenomenal. Um, so I enjoyed that uh, going into it. And then when I finally entered the village, uh, I did have one jump scare for me. And that was when I ran into the tripwire. I'm sure that happens to lots of people. And I had my baby in the hand. So I'm here like playing Resident Evil 4 with my infant and I jumped in the middle of it and he like jumped to and he looks up at me like what happened i'm like it's okay <laughs> we hit a tripwire and he goes back to watching so that was great uh great did you run into moment. the chainsaw man uh yes i did lose my head and that's where i stopped <laughs> so because <laughs> i'd gotten far enough i was just doing exploring for the most part i'd seen my brother play this game for a number of years so i'm i'm familiar with the merchant and a lot of the enemies and and what happens and I've heard this game. My brother, like, I'm pretty sure this game is also his favorite game next to um, Legend of Dragoon. My mm-hmm. brother probably played this about four or five times when we were younger. Um, yeah, he played it more. But uh, yeah, he would play this all the time on GameCube. And so I, I'm very familiar with the game. But I guess for me, like when I went into the actual village and I was being attacked by like pitchforks and axes and scythes thrown at me that was pretty cool uh so having to navigate around that um the shaking off of enemies that was pretty cool uh so i like that entire component and then really the interactions you have with the environment too to kind of be strategic so when you go into that first building and where you interact a chainsaw man for the first time and uh you know, you close the door, you move something, there's people yelling outside, you go up the stairs, you grab your shotgun, you smash some glass, you grab um, whatever you got out of that. Uh, you find your shotgun shells. I did laugh when he like looks at the stained bed and he's like, this bed, it looks like it's been laid in for many years, blah, blah, blah. It's got blood all over. I'm like, did you really pause in the middle of this to investigate the bed? <laughs> um, but then you throw it on the ladder, you jump out a window, like all the cool interactions tied to that. And then I did not see Chainsaw Man coming, but yes, he did chop off Leon's head and uh, it, it was not fun when that happened. So that that is where I stopped at that point. And um, I will allow you to continue with your mastercraft of, uh, you know, explaining this. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a great game. I love the intro to this game because it's like it, it, just a couple minutes of like some cutscene, and then you get pretty much right into it. You're not like having to like do a whole lot of like tutorialing or whatever. You just kind of get right to things. The action kicks up. Um, there's a couple ways that like early village part can play out. Like if you don't go into the building to get the shotgun, the chainsaw guy doesn't come. 
you can kind of just like survive out in the courtyard until everybody gets called away or you can go in get the shotgun have to deal with that until everybody gets called away um you know i think that they've definitely elaborated on it in the new game i haven't played that yet but the whole demo that just came out for the new one maybe we should have tried that too uh is just that intro part there question for you yeah rescuing the dog from the bear trap does that have implications later on in the game if you kill it versus if you let it go yeah if you let it go it'll come back and help you in a boss fight i figured as much that's Mm -hmm. why i let it go only save the doggo oh yeah um cool this game does so much uh like fun and it really revitalized the franchise and got things you know going in a new direction that kind of started to go downhill and it's kind of come back around now but uh this was the the game that you know got everybody really excited for the over the shoulder camera view and you know it really kind of stepped up what people thought would be available for consoles especially consoles like the gamecube like when you look at uh i was just watching a digital foundry video this morning with a side-by-side of the 2005 pc release the gamecube release and the ps2 release and it's remarkable how much better the gamecube looks than either of the other two you know when the gamecube has always had kind of this reputation as not being powerful or not being capable and now we're kind of existing in this like new renaissance of gamecube games coming up and being remade and being super popular again but i mean this game like on GameCube is fantastic. On Wii, it's incredible. Uh, you know, you get the pointer controls and it's just like so much more in depth. I really still want to get it on Oculus and play it on there because like that would be a whole new experience for me too. Like I imagine by the end of <laughs> by the end of everything, maybe I'll have like maybe that's a collection I should go for. Maybe I should buy every copy of <laughs> this game for some reason. That'd probably be stupid. There's Especially cool when versions. you uh break it down to brass tacks yeah so breaking it down complete in box um which complete box is this for by the way so these are the ps4 stats and then i'll go over the gamecube okay cool so complete in box on ps4 is 1374 uh that peaked at 1599 in uh may of 2020 um and we're looking at like the most recent years so um we're not going back to its original release because obviously it'd be like 50 bucks, 60 bucks. Uh, it is trending down in price right now. A loose copy will run you 1128 that peaked at 1640. Um, I don't have the date here, but uh, that was when it first came out back in September oh, okay. 2016. Oh, OK, um, and then that's trending down as well. And so uh, you can play it on just about anything. Um, the most expensive version right now is the new PS5 collector's version on PAL and uh or a pal version that's 438.13 cheapest version is 375 on pal via the 360 uh no. digital console will run you 1999 right now for that same version that ryan played a digital pc version uh 1999 2005 edition on steam and then uh, it's advertised as 999 so 50 percent off uh till uh really the 29th of this month of march uh on the switch so as far as gamecube what are brass tacks on that uh, so GameCube uh, today is going twenty two forty nine loose and thirty four seventy three uh, complete in box. I think the last time I looked that up was when we were doing our GameCube starter kit showdown, which we still yeah. have yet to release. We didn't. No, 
It's pretty in the sure bank. we did. It is. I'll have to yeah. double check. I'm pretty sure we released it. If not, maybe that's a episode for a few weeks from now. We'll see. Um. All right. So rating wise, uh, if we're looking at the PS4 version, uh, I am a hundred percent down with this. Thirteen seventy four. I think it deserves to be fifteen bucks. I think it is totally deflated in this respect. Um, if that's the version you want to play on, same thing with Switch. Nine ninety nine digitally till 329 absolutely worth it at that at that point i do see why this game is rated a 9 out of 10 and can be considered one of the greatest games even a little bit i've played and the interactions i've had in the past it's just a very fluid game it it all works it's not like you've got crazy jank going on other than in my opinion the having to pause and shoot but that's yeah. more so the style of game um that you're playing more so than like a major issue mm-hmm. um so yeah, that's that's where I stand. It is deflated for the PS4 specifically. I would say GameCube, uh, it is a superior version to the PS2. And there's a lot of nostalgia for people that have like the only on GameCube or only for GameCube. So I could see why it's 44 bucks complete in box, but that is highly inflated. 34. Given 34. That is highly inflated given the number of consoles and places you could play it. I would absolutely never pay that much for the GameCube version when you have a remastered version on the ps4 or hd master mm-hmm. yeah i um like i said i would buy this on any version <laughs> so i'm gonna say it's deflated ryan would buy this on a pregnancy test i would could. i yeah. would play this on doom yeah <laughs> all right cool so uh we've got deflated here for this particular version uh definitely a great game go check out the remake uh that is out now uh Unfortunately, we don't have an affiliate link. If we did, I'd be like, go click our link and buy That'd it. That'd be on crazy. Amazon. Yeah, we should start doing that. Um, but all of that said, uh, I'm not sure what we're going to play next week. Uh, we'll figure that out. I think we're probably going to do uh, virtual again for the two of us. I'm not sure unless you want to come over. It's up to you. We'll figure um, it out. Yeah, but I've got some fantastic games that we can play. And uh, maybe I'll have a new one. We'll see. Oh, actually, you know what? You probably should come over because I'm not going to release it right now. But... I I think I got a good game for us next week and we'll want to do this all in person next week, potentially. Okay. Sounds good. So we'll chat it over. All right. This has been episode 228 of the Game Inflators podcast. My name is John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.